Okay, uh, Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a, a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. They left, and they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has healed you. God is good. All the time. Awesome. Awesome. We're continuing our series on prayers of the Bible, and I've entitled the sermon Parabola of Praise. We need to remember that scripture is written in context. It's given to the people to listen in a, within a context. And sometimes we miss that context, or sometimes we interpret scripture uh, without context, but I think it's really important. And one of the ways when you're reading scripture, if you can hit, hit the next slide, uh, you see in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, right? You could, go, you could gloss over that and be like, oh, Jesus was traveling. Um, but there's actually three cities or three geographic locales that are mentioned in this one verse. And that's Jerusalem, Samaria, and Galilee. And if you look at the map, Galilee, you, you know, you may have heard Jesus of Galilee. That's where Jesus was from. That, that was his neighborhood. That was his hometown. That was Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. That's where he was from. And that's north of Samaria. And if you remember, like, stories of the Samaritan woman, uh, the Good Samaritan, you may have heard that Samaria is the land of Gentiles, non-Jewish people um, who were considered unclean or were the nemesis people of the Jewish people. And then below that to the south is where Jerusalem is, the capital, right? The center of, um, of faith, where the temple is. And so... What we see already in verse 11 is a setup, right? A setup in that it says that Jesus is traveling on the border between Galilee, where he's from, and Samaria, right? And a lot of things happens on, happen on borders, right? Like what happens at borders? There's checkpoints, there's gates, there's walls, there's lines, there's boundaries. Um, also, what happens at borders is the meeting of different people, right? Different cultures blending at the border, right? You have the center of places, but you have the border of places where there may be bridges. At, you know, if it, uh, the river is making a border between two places, there's a bridge. The people themselves may be bridge people. There may be a lot of people who speak both languages between the two territories, right? Or are intermarried between the two territories or have kind of uh, 
cultural competence when it comes to you know, dealing with the culture here and on the other side of the border here. Um, there's a lot of conflict that happens at borders. There's a lot of peacemaking that happens at borders and negotiating. There's a lot of, a lot of drama that happens at borders and heartbreak that happens at borders. So Jesus, it says, is traveling along the border. And so that's something to wonder. Like, why is Jesus traveling along the border? Right? What's going on? And I'm wondering, like last week, we talked about how the gospel, like how Jesus is kind of opening this door uh, for the gospel to go out, not just to the Jewish people, but beyond, right? And so I think Jesus is rolling on the border because that's where the bridge is. That's where the bridge, uh, bridge makers are. That's where two cultures are colliding. And so he's going there um, because he has a heart for um, not just the lost sheep of Israel, but also the people, the Samaritans, um, who are hungry and seeking after God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, your care for us. And thank you that we can pray and know that you are listening and that we have a means by which we can talk with you and relate to you uh, in a personal way. And that's amazing. That's awesome. And that should be a bigger part of all of our faiths. And I confess the ways that um, I don't pray as much, that I don't praise as much as I can. And I, I want to be closer to you. And I pray that all of us as a people, as a church, can be closer to you. Amen. So then we continue, as he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him, keeping their distance. And I, I want you guys to recognize this whole motif of distance and closeness, distance and closeness. Jesus at the border of people that are separate are distance, distant from each other, but like bringing that, those people together. So the men are keeping their distance from him. They raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. They're calling out and crying out. That's the initiation of prayer that we saw uh, from the Canaanite woman last week, right? Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus, Master, show us mercy. Verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they left, they were cleansed. So we know that these ten men had a skin disease had skin diseases, um, probably leprosy. And if you can hit the next slide, um, in Leviticus 3, 45 through 46, uh, a part of the law that God is giving um, to the people in the Old Testament, uh, there, are, there are laws such as this. The person with such an infectious disease, talking about a skin disease like leprosy, must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. Sounds like when, me in my 20s as a bachelor. <laughs> Torn clothes and unkept hair. Um, anyway, as long as he was, has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. And so this is what's going on. People who had skin diseases like these 10 uh, men with Skin diseases were so 
determined to be unclean. So they actually lived outside of the towns, lived outside of the village in camps. And any time people who were not ceremonially unclean came near them, they were supposed to say, unclean, 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 meaning get out of my way. Don't get near me. Don't touch me because I'm unclean. Can you imagine what it would be like to be marked like that? To have to live isolated away from the general, general society and community because you were ostracized because you were considered not clean or you're considered not to be pure. Um, and I think many of us understand and maybe have experienced in ourselves, even today, maybe it's not overtly physical, like, oh, you're quarantined because you have, you have brown hair, so you're quarantined from the rest of society. It's not like that. But many of us feel ostracized for other reasons, right? Maybe we feel ostracized because we're awkward. Maybe we feel ostracized because of our social economic status, because of our age. There are many reasons why people feel outside of community and feel like they have a sign on their head or on their body that says, stay away from me, unclean. And this is the culture and the religious system that they're under. And it's an oppressive system um, because it's keep, keeping them outside of the general community and outside of human contact, right? Real relationships, intimacy. And I can imagine that these men, I don't know how many years, maybe for their whole life, um, have been lonely, you know, not connected um, to culture, to society, to their families. Um, so that ain't good, right? Hit the next slide. In verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. As they left, they were cleansed. And we'll see in this passage that it's a little strange because there's a cleansing that Jesus does immediately when he sends them away. And actually, it's not like he touches them and they're healed right there. It says, as they left and on their way, they were cleansed. But then at the end, when we see the one out of the ten come back, Jesus says, now you are healed. So it's like, is there a layered healing? Is this a double, it's a cleansing healing? Like, can I have a shampoo and a cleanse? Or is it a cleansing and a healing? What's happening? Like, was he fully healed and these, the nine others weren't fully healed? Like, what was it about faith, right? Or this, the action of the one man that Jesus adds this added, like, now you are healed. Your faith has healed you. It's a mystery, right? But we do know that Jesus sends these ten men to the temple to see the priest. To see the priest and uh, that that was important. That not only is physical healing important to Jesus, but Jesus wants to see the restoration of the full person. Does that make sense? It's like these, these people are ostracized from community as well as being unclean. So 
the physical thing is one thing, but then there's the emotional element, and then there's a the social element. We all know that that's the case for all of us as individuals. We have physical needs, we have emotional needs, we have social needs, right? And all of those work holistically for us to make us whole, healthy, happy, joyful people. And these men are not socially uh, restored yet just because they're healed. They need to be seen by the priest in the temple to be like, oh, you're clean. And Jesus cares about that. He's not just like, oh, forget them, forget your people, forget your religion, right? And Luke is, this is the gospel of Luke. Luke is actually the first half of a sequel, uh, which is the second half is Acts. So a lot of people call it Luke Acts, written by Luke. And in Acts, we see that the apostles uh, continue to teach in the temple. Like they don't, it's not like Jesus came in, oh, it's a whole different religion, right? Jesus came and the disciples are teaching in the temples testifying about Jesus. So it wasn't this kind of like, oh, down with Judaism. It's like, this is, let us speak of the fulfillment of our scriptures, what we've been talking about. And that was the message. And Jesus is the same. He's not there to like overturn everything. He really cares about the, whole, the wholeness um, of these men. Are you with me, church? But if you remember, and you'll see later, this man, this one man who returns, (laughs) is a Samaritan, right? So I can imagine that he's like, go to the temple and be seen by the priest. So they're all ten going, and the the Samaritan's like, wait a second. I've never been to the temple ever in my life. Like, where am I going? Why are we going this way? So it says he stops in the middle and like, I'm not going with these guys. Like, I don't, the temple means nothing to me. It's like if we're like, go to the church and get baptized or go sing some worship songs, right? And be forgiven by the pastor and the people and be restored in community. And you have someone who's never been to church in their life. They're like, why am I going this way? Like, he comes back. So he turns around. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. Praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Remember, these, these words, these geographies, these descriptors are really important. And I can't harp on this anymore because I think sometimes in churches we're used to like teaching that takes the word out of context. And we say things like, the Bible has nothing to say about race, or the Bible has nothing to say about crossing cultures, or the Bible has nothing to say about this and this, but it has everything to say about it. It's there. The names of towns and places are there. We just have to step into it and see it. Amen? He was a Samaritan. But just like last week, the Canaanite woman was a Gentile, and Jesus said, now this woman, her faith has healed her daughter, right? The faith of the outsider, the intercession of an outsider, represents the the model of of the disciple, of the true disciple, right? This is what Jesus is highlighting, is yes, there's 
There's what we are used to. There's the religious form. There's the tradition, right? There's the culture of the religion. But look at this, the faith of this outsider. What this Samaritan, he was a Samaritan. Who was this he? He turned around and fell on the face of Jesus. At the beginning of the passage, it says that they yelled from a distance. At the end of the passage, he's on his hands and knees at the feet of Jesus. I imagine touching the feet, the sandals of Jesus. The gap has been closed and there's a closeness and an intimacy. They're, at, they're touching. No longer is his identity unclean, don't touch me. His identity is Jesus, thank you. And so what does this have to, well, first I gotta explain this graph in the title of my sermon, which is Parabola, oh, go back. Parabola of Praise. It's actually a sideways parabola. <laughs> but how many of you heard of the word chiasm? Chi comes from the Greek uh, letter X, right? And basically that means uh, in a lot of scripture, you'll see chiasms in certain sections. So chiasm just means like it's kind of like a limerick. Like, a, you know, it'll start with an A, B, there's a vertex C, and then you'll get a B1, B2. So there's a, a symmetry to the passage. And what, when, the, when they wrote that way, having a symmetry to the passage means, oh, we should focus on the what's at the vertex, what's at the point. That seems to be the center. So when you look at our passage, or our pericope, if you want to get fancy, it says, in a, and it's not directly like um, a mirror image. It says, it, in a loud voice, right? And on the other side of that, you see, in a loud voice, he fell on his face. And in the beginning, they were yelling in a loud voice, what? At a distance, and that's red. And when we come back on the other side of that, he's falling at the feet. He's praying in a loud voice and falling at the feet of Jesus. The distance has become closeness. Um, and then at the point there, Jesus says, oh, they went on their way and they were cleansed. But the third part in green is healed by faith. So it's not a mirror. It's actually A, B, C, A1, B1, C1. Does that make sense? But I think what this is highlighting is actually the C1, the emphasis on you are, you are, your faith has healed you. There's something different that happens for this outsider because of his faith. He was healed. It's, it's more than he was cleansed. And Jesus points this out. Where are the other? Didn't I heal 10 people? Where are the other nine? Where are those other guys? This person came back and praised me and thanked me. And he's worshiping me. I think that praise and gratitude go hand in hand. Praise and gratitude go hand in hand. We worship because we are thankful for what God has done. Worship is our response to what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of people that we care about. Is what God is doing around us. That's why we give praise. 
Right? If you don't think God's done anything, if you don't see God around you, why praise? Right? You're like, thank you, God. You're so good. I don't know why, but I'm singing this because John's voice is so good. <laughs> you know, like, we don't know. But praise and gratitude go hand in hand. And how this connects with prayer is that this man, all the men, cry out in prayer, just like the woman last week. Heal us. Heal us, Jesus. They're calling out. And in prayer, when we hit rock bottom or we have struggles or we have needs, we cry out to God. Help us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Provide for us, Lord. Give to us, Lord. I need you, Lord. But if you're like me, right, sometimes I take things for granted. We take things for granted a lot, and we forget that we asked and God provided and answered, right? And then prayer becomes for us, or God becomes for us, the, the divine vending machine, right? When I need something, I'm going to stick a quarter in there, press A2, now you can do your debit card. Debit card, A2, Diet Coke, yes. And I drink that, I forget about that vending machine, right? I just needed that drink. I was thirsty. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And there are a lot, I, I think of some stories growing up where I've taken people for granted because I just wanted the object and not the object that was connected to the relationship. So when I was growing up, I tell my son this all the time because, you know, kids these days, they, they need to play outside more. When I was Isaiah's age, we were skateboarding to the mall alone, right? And hanging, you know, we're doing all kinds of things in the neighborhood. Our, our parents just kicked us out until like 9 p.m., you know? And we, I don't know if it's the world is a less safe place or just we are more afraid. But, you know, we played outside. And so we had a crew in the neighborhood of skateboarders. But all my friends had these nice skateboards. Right? And my dad said, we only had money to buy my older brother a skateboard. So he had his Bones Brigade, Palin Peralta, uh, Mark Gonzalez. No, no, he had, uh, I forget what skateboard he had. And I was just left either borrowing his skateboard when he wasn't using it, or there was this kid, uh, this Japanese family who was uh, immigrated from Japan named Takishi. And he had this really nice skateboard. But he never went outside, and so I would always borrow the skateboard from him. And he was like one of those really nice guys that always said yes. And uh, so I would borrow his skateboard, and I'd take it out, and I'd just rip it to shreds. And like one day, I knocked on his, I knocked on his door, and I because my friends were going out, we were gonna skateboard to the mall and like, you know, go thrashing or whatever. And I said, Takishi, can I borrow your skateboard? And he just was hesitant. No, you know, and I was like, what? And he's uh, like, no. I'm like, but we're friends, come on. Can I borrow the skateboard? He's like, no. And, uh, and so finally, I, I just didn't get a skateboard, and he stood up to me, and, um, and he said, you know, I don't think we're friends. And that's a huge, that was a huge lesson to me. Because the only reason why I came to Takeshi was because I wanted something from him. And we all know that 
we have those relationships in our lives, maybe in more nuanced or complicated ways the older we get, more mature we get, but we, we are used or we use people all the time. And I think we use God as well, or we objectify the promise, the objects, right? And if you look at scripture, it's not just the promised land, like ultimately is my presence goes with you. The, the gift is the presence of God and the deepened relationship. But it always got mixed in with, oh, it's the land itself that we get, or it's the blessing that we get. And, but I think God wants so much more for his people, right? Not just input, remember math in elementary, input A, go through the box, output B, right? It's like input my prayer and my ask, God provides. It's a very simple equation, but a lot of us live by it. And I don't want to discount that, right? Simple prayer is still a very powerful thing. Like we should ask for things and God does provide. But I think the discipline of gratitude and praise hand in hand is what deepens that, deepens our faith and deepens that relationship with God so that we don't become, you know, God isn't a takishi, right? That we just need that skateboard. We don't care about God, we just want that skateboard. You gotta know that God wants to talk with us. He wants to talk with you. He wants to have a deeper relationship with you. In John 15, I've always like, I always used to look at this verse like, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it should be given to you. I'm like, that doesn't make sense because I've asked for a lot of things, right? And he didn't give it to me, so what's up with that? That's a false verse, <laughs> right? But if you look at it more carefully, abide is that like walking alongside God, being with God, he and me, you and him, aboding, right? A house, an abode, you're housing, dwelling with God together. Right? And if you are really abiding in God and praying, your prayers start to change, actually. Mm -hmm. Right? You start to pray godly things or the things that God would want you to pray for. Because mm -hmm. that relationship is there. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what we're talking about is Jesus sees that this man comes back. If you've ever been taken for granted, you know. you know. You give to this person, you give to this person, and they slap the hand that's feeding you. You're like, well, forget that. Or there's no thank you. <laughs> you didn't say thank you. That, uh, that can really fire you up. And I think we get angry because you're like, yeah, I'm not a vending machine. Right? I'm not your, I'm not your servant. I'm not your waitress or waiter. Right? I'm your dad or I'm your husband or I'm your friend. <laughs> I want relationship with you and you're, you're using that relationship. And so in prayer, we need to remember who it was that we were praying to. And we need to remember the things that God has done to answer our prayers. Yes. 
And when we remember that discipline of gratitude, it helps us to worship, amen, yes. and to praise, yes. right? There's too many dead sanctuaries on Sunday morning. Yeah. We're like, let's worship and praise God. It's like, <laughs> right? What would it look like if we were thankful, if we were turning back to praise, the parabola of praise? We go, and Jesus cleanses us. He restores us. He renews us. So we come back and like, thank you, God. I was blind, and now I see. I was lame, and now I can walk. Right? I was lonely, and now I have community. I was depressed, and you healed me. You bring joy to my life. I was in the darkest place, and the light shined, and now I have hope. Amen? Yes. Yes. I was ill and you healed me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Return back to praise. Return back in gratitude. Turn back to worship God. Turn back because he's the one that fills us with life. He's the great giver. He's the one who loves us. He's home. God is home for us. And when we return home, we sing out, we pray out, and say thanks. Gratitude. And it's a discipline. Yes. And one practical thing I would say is to keep a prayer journal or kind of a thank a thanks, you know, a record of thanks. Right? Or every morning, if you want your day to go way better, this is even like non-religious, non-Christian people. Just sit down and list five things that you're thankful for before you start your day. Did, you, did your mom make you do this? <laughs> <laughs> and if you do that regularly for a long time, your whole perspective on life will change. You will have more joy. Amen? So... I'm being challenged in my sermons to be more practical. Since we're on uh, prayer, I'm going to provide some, some uh, next slide, some practice for this. So prayer of examine, if you've never heard of the prayer of examine, it was started by Ignatius, who was a Jesu Jesuit priest. Um, and it was a time, uh, so his idea behind it is, a time to be aware of your the last 24 hours of the last day and become more aware of what happened during the day what was said during the day what went on and where was God during that day to be more aware of God's presence in your life and so there's if you go online you can find different guided prayer of examines like ways to take account or take stock of your the last 24 hours in your life like to to have to use a contemporary word mindfulness right have mindfulness of the things that have been happening so this is a prayer of examine for gratitude and we're going to practice this right here so that you can practice it later when you go home during your week so i want everyone to take some time to relax and maybe you can if you want to face your palms up or whatever it takes or close your eyes, whatever it takes for you to relax.
And as you're relaxing, be aware of your breath. Breathe in and breathe out God's love. With your palms faced up, ask Jesus to bring to your heart the moment in the last 24 hours in which you felt the most grateful. Recall what was said and done in that moment. Enjoy the gratitude you feel again now. Soak it in and, and breathe in and this life. Now, what moment in the last 24 hours did you feel the least grateful? What was said and done in that moment? And as you think about that, begin to let it go, let it be. And breathe in God's love just as you are. Just allow yourself to be. Now speak to God about what you have noticed, what you've recalled, and give thanks to God for your day and ask help for tomorrow. Help you to let go of, let go of the things that the, were giving you death and to take up the things that are giving you life. God, as we are gathered here, thank you so much uh, for this place, this community. Thank you for the wind that goes through the windows and give us a breeze and thanks that we have the freedom to come and worship uh, with where many places in the world uh, Christians are persecuted. Uh, we can come and uh, give praise to you freely. Thank you for family members, for our mothers and our fathers, for our brothers and our sisters, for our sons and our daughters, for our friends, our co-workers. 
thank you for uh, forgiving us uh, when we stumble, when we mess up, and in the places that we regularly feel shame or guilt. I pray that you would lift that from our hearts and be teaching us and speaking to us who we are, how you see us, our identity in you. Teach us a new name that you have for us. Help us to be to remember um, the ways that you've been with us, the ways that you've been providing, the ways that you've answered prayer. Give us hearts of gratitude. And as we are grateful, may we close the gap and kneel at your feet and praise you as our God. We give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.